He kōna e pūrangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Tēnā koutou katoa and welcome to Insight. I'm Philippa Tolley. This week, finding a new love when your partner has dementia. Marriage is supposed to be till death do us part. But what if your beloved has dementia and doesn't know who you are anymore? Is it all right to start a new relationship with someone else? Teresa Cowie has been talking to some of those whose relationships are navigating this taboo territory. And just a note, some names have been changed to protect people's identities. At this Thai restaurant in the Hawke's Bay, a group of carefree retirees are breezing in, kissing hellos with one another and greeting the maitre d' with jovial familiarity as they pass. It's a midweek lunchtime and the suburban restaurant was pretty quiet before the arrival of this large, excitable group, all clearly delighted to be catching up with one another as they slide into the booth still chatting away. But this eagerness to get together is driven by the experience of sadness, struggle and loneliness. Everyone at the table is grieving the loss of their partner to dementia. Some of them have partners who have died recently, while others are experiencing the slow and painful grief of gradually losing a partner who's still living with the disease. Dementia is an umbrella term for describing symptoms that lead to damage and a gradual loss of brain function, including changes in memory, thinking, behaviour, personality and emotions. Almost 70,000 New Zealanders have dementia. By 2050, more than 170,000 people will have been diagnosed. It's a huge and growing problem, with the latest forecasts of expected diagnosis much higher than previously projected. Among those at the table is a man I've agreed to call Derek. He's one of the thousands of New Zealand men slowly losing their wife to dementia. He says the grief is drawn out and has brought a pall of sadness and disconnectedness over his family. I got quite depressed about it. I was anti- on antidepressants and I still am uh, because I just found things too tough. But with this group and that blokes, you know, to talk to and that, you know, we're all in a similar, if different, situation sort of Derek and his wife Cheryl have been married for 50 years. She was diagnosed seven years ago, then in her mid-60s. But she still knows me. She still knows me, knows my name and that. And she's sharp as a tack. She can still say things and she's quite sharp um, in that respect. But the rest of us just gone. She's not the same person. It's like a living death. And that's basically what it is. She's basically the same, but she hasn't passed away, but it's a living death. She's still alive. And she's got no quality of life. Nothing. Derek and Cheryl are both now 72. For most of her illness, he's looked after her at home, but for the past 18 months, she's been in a dementia unit at a local rest home. Only five minute drive for me, so um, but I, I get, go there most most days in the mornings, have a cup of tea with her, and I. Now that things are worse, I often go twice a day, go up at tea time and feed her because she can't do any of that. Derek admits he's struggled hugely from being deprived of his wife's companionship for so long. And he'd love to find someone to spend time with. 
to fill the empty space. He knows some of his friends at this table have got into relationships despite their spouse still being alive, but he feels conflicted. As these fellows have said to me, you get on with your life, it's not going to stand still for you. What are you going to do? Just sit and mope all the time. And I get quite lonely and you're inclined to start moping and wishing and thinking and all that does you no good. So the more you get out and do things and, you know, meet someone, good. A couple of them here have quite a while and I could, I didn't agree with I thought, what, what are you playing at? But I've come to realise now what, what, you know, it's all about, so yeah. Have you surprised yourself that you've been able to change your mind about that? Um, probably, but there's been a couple of occasions I've met someone, everything's gone well. And then I've pulled the pin and chickened out and backed out of it. Um, that's happened, but just recently, or just the last week, I met someone, so everything's all right. Now, I mean, I'm not, not in it for anything else. Just see how things go. It's a good friend, female company and all that, you know, so who knows? And what made you chicken out last time? Guilt. I got a case of the guilt, and I'll probably get it again. When it comes to guilt, Wellington counsellor and author of numerous relationship books, Rhonda Pritchard, says it's a feeling that shouldn't be ignored. But it also shouldn't be the only thing that guides a person's decision. People often talk about guilt as if it's the emotion we should reject or ignore or reduce in some way. But guilt makes the world go round. Guilt tells us there's a gap between our values and our actions. So I think we can recognise guilt as the message or the signal to us that we may be breaching some kind of principle or moral rule that we have that would normally give us good guidance about how to treat people. But when someone's no longer completely aware, Rhonda Pritchard says the situation changes. Feeling guilty because you are not solely now devoted to this one person, but now have another person that you would like to be with, you then have to weigh up what harm is being done to the partner who's in care. What are they actually experiencing or suffering if you do that? I mean, other people might feel that way, but the partner themselves, presuming they're not conscious in that usual sense, not recognising, not aware, you could say maybe they're not being harmed by this. They're being harmed if I abandon them. They're being harmed if I leave them altogether. If I continue to be the main carer or the guardian or the person who's mainly taking responsibility for them, I'm continuing to fulfil a really major role in their life. And staying committed to that guardian role is one way that Heather made peace with her decision to start a new relationship while her husband was living with dementia. Sitting in the garden of her new partner's house dressed in a flowing top patterned with flowers, it's clear Heather is a bright and bubbly person who loves the company of others. Her husband of 38 years, John, was diagnosed with dementia in 2013 but the early signs she remembers started to appear after he had a fall in their garage. Further investigation by his doctors found there was something else going wrong. Heather says, looking back, she and his grown-up children noticed his behaviour started to change about 10 years earlier. 
She cared for him at home for most of his illness, and she says it was difficult and isolating. You're thinking for two people, it's so tiring. And also, you're actually, you're actually covering so the family don't see him like that, and you don't realise that. You try and put a good face onto family so they don't see how he is and think, oh, I'm 10 foot tall, I can handle this. And, and, and in hindsight, in hindsight, perhaps they should have seen it, yeah. What kind of, give me some examples of covering. Oh, you come to conversation, and because you knew him so well, if he got stuck for words, you'd just find them. And he was he was very good at calling everyone dear and sweetie and mate. So people didn't realise they didn't know who, who they didn't know they didn't know them. Then the dementia started to affect his behaviour, change the person he was. Well, it, it was very very demanding and very um, bossy, aggressive, not physically but mentally. Um, when he I'm in a retirement, oh no, I was in a, vill- I'm in a village, and when he went into care, two, two of the residents came up to me and said, oh, it's, we, were, uh, we really were concerned for your safety, because um, they'd heard him, I don't remember, they'd heard him being so abusive, and they knew he was a butcher by trade, and we knew he had knives in the premises, and I never knew that they were, they had realised they'd gone that way, yeah. He never hit me or anything, but mm. it was pretty hard going. As his personality changed beyond recognition, her role, she says, turned from equal partner to dutiful wife and carer. In October 2017, she got to the point where she couldn't look after him at home anymore and was advised to put him into a rest home. His illness progressed and he died last July. Before that, while still looking after John at home, Heather sought help from a local carer's support group. That's where she met Charlie and unexpectedly found new love. Charlie's wife had dementia too, and they were both part of a cycling group put together by a friend as an opportunity for people to take a bit of time out from caring and get to know others in the same situation. At Charlie's neat suburban home in a new subdivision, the electric door to the garage rolls up to reveal the bikes they trained on to cycle the 150-kilometre Otago rail trail together. So you guys have bonded over biking then? Oh yes, yes definitely. Mm. That, um, that was the start of it, wasn't it? It was. I didn't, we hadn't met before then. No. no. But I didn't meet you until we started biking. No, yeah. and then you and I used to take it in turns of picking each other yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, carpool, because they're so yeah, close. carpool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So you would have been looking forward to those biking trips? Oh, definitely. (laughs) Eight months before her husband died, Heather and Charlie headed south with the rest of the cycling group. Time away gave them a chance to get to know each other and ponder their futures as they spent hours cycling through the parched landscapes and exploring the goldfield relics along the way. Heather says during the trip they realised they had so much in common. And and we just got on so well and we thought it was a good chemistry bit. Yes. And, well, give it a go. You know, life's too short. Um, we did. We're still going. Still going. <laughs> yeah. And what was it like um, when you wanted to start telling others that you were seeing each other? Did you um, tell others that you were together when your husband was still alive? Or did you wait till after? Or? No, no, no. We, we told quite a few. My stepdaughter, I can really realise, she came over to see Dad because he was in care. And... No, I met her at the airport and she said to me straight away, she said, you met someone else. I said, what do you mean? She said, I can tell she said, you 
she picked out straight away that yeah because of obviously um my face. demeanor and my face here yeah. mm. and so I told her I didn't tell the, didn't tell the others that lived here locally until we well after your birthday really yeah, yeah. yeah. so um yeah. and then my yeah friends and family most friends and family were absolutely thrilled for both of us so mm. I could see in my case that I was happy like a weight off my shoulders I was enjoying life some family spat the dummy um the few showed it that way. Um, yeah. So that reaction is mm. quite common, isn't it? It is, yeah. It is, yeah. The reaction from family can be one of the more difficult aspects to deal with. This is how relationship counsellor Rhonda Pritchard would advise someone to tackle what could be a tricky situation. There might need to be some preamble. Like, I've got, I've got some news, or I'd like to tell you about the things that have been happening for me that might be complicated for you. I mean, just a bit of preamble gives... Mm -hmm. So so rather than, right, here's the news, Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's um, preparing for something of being a bit more nuanced. I noticed you said complicated for you, not difficult for you or good for you. That's right. This is complicated, but it's complicated for everybody. And just being aware of that, you see, I I believe that part of the difficulty about this new phenomenon, starting a new relationship when they're already married and uh, likely to stay that way in a structural legal sense, um, one of the reasons people are so embarrassed or frightened or uncomfortable or ashamed about this is all the myths, is all the beliefs and dreams we have about marriage. You know, the one true love and lifelong love and till death is do part. All of those beliefs we go into mean the moment we start deviating from that notion, people think there's a rule that's been broken. There's some way in which we've committed some offence against some deeply held ideas about marriage and family. And so I think as a society we need to get a bit more accepting, more supportive of the variations, the different kind of arrangements people have. Heather says things have now settled down a bit with the family and she credits Charlie for helping her come to grips with her own feelings about starting a new relationship. I think one of the the biggest things that got me thinking about and and a lot of people need to think about is we need to realise that our loved one who's in care has left us a while ago. They, uh, the loved one, week by week, year by year, you're losing that person. So if we, it would have been easier if I'd realised that, you know, realised, you know, I was losing him. Well, but and shared it with others, I think would have helped. Yeah, um, but some people don't see it as ever going to be, be right. You should have someone in care and be with somebody else. I mean, reality is that that relationship of a husband and wife. It wasn't there for some time, not just a couple of days or a couple of weeks. It's been a progressive thing. Charlie's wife Karen was diagnosed with dementia in 2016. She died last year. They were married for 33 years, and the walls of his living room, covered in photographs of Karen and the family printed on large canvases, show she's not been easily forgotten. Yeah, we talk quite regularly about our, our, our spouses and... Mm. Different remembrance of 
little stories and things that happened and or things they said. So it's it's not a taboo subject or anything like that. Yeah, we're very open about that. Yeah, we feel very comfortable. Yeah. yeah. Charlie says he and his late wife had already talked about what they'd do if the worst ever happened, and she gave her blessing for him to move on. Although he says he never thought it would be enacted, because he'd always imagined he'd be the one to go first. There's a little map of where it, the actual cycling through. Mm-hmm. Outside on the deck, Heather and Charlie sit next to each other at the picnic table. Hand in hand, leafing through an album Heather has made of photos, tickets and memories of their Otago Rail Trail cycling trip. She's 62 and he's 72, and having observed up close how fragile good health and life can be, they're determined to make an adventure of the rest of their lives. They've just thrown caution to the wind and had a friend in Australia look over a caravan for them and clicked buy now on the internet. They're planning on leaving the New Zealand winter behind for a trip around the warmer climes of Australia. And Charlie's advice to anyone in a similar situation? I would, I would go with my heart. I think uh, most people that are in that situation understand. You've just got to overcome the family uh, perhaps not agreeing with you or seeing it differently. But you just need some companionship and especially you feel very lonely at times. So, you know, I recommend it. I'm Teresa Cowie, and you're listening to an RNZ Insight program about starting a new relationship with someone else when your partner's living with dementia. Marie, who's in her mid-70s, is one of those on the cusp of deciding whether to go with her heart and come out about her new relationship. In a subdivision of perfect modern houses, hers stands out as having that extra shine. The for sale sign at the front explains its pristine and open home ready sheen. A sold sticker is now smoothed diagonally across the sign. And for Marie, it's a sign she's getting ready to move out, move on and perhaps even move in with her new partner Bill. Most of her family already know, but she hasn't told any of her friends she's seeing someone. As we chat over a cup of tea and some old photo albums, she oscillates between feeling emboldened and then worrying about the social consequences of making her new relationship public. Here's a picture of my husband and I at our wedding. This was in 2008. It was a lovely occasion. Her 83-year-old husband, Alistair, is living in a secure facility for people with dementia. He tended to wander off when he was still living at the house and Marie says she had to watch him like a shadow and felt lonely and isolated. So I gave up work and had to be here and for four years nearly and never left the house at all at night and had to watch him all the time. For four years, we were, again, we were prisoners in our house. I had to lock all the doors I, um, and hide keys so he couldn't get out and put padlocks that he didn't know how to open. on, So he was completely enclosed on this end of the, gar- of the house in the garden. Marie is sparky and determined. She keeps her diary full, volunteering, teaching computer skills and genealogy. Her own mother lived into her 90s, she says, so she's not ready to retire from living a full life just yet. At one point, after watching others succumb to the stress of nursing their partners, she decided she needed to make a change. I had been, in a month, I had been to five of my friends' funerals who were the caregivers of dementia patients who had died. Now, by the time I went to the fifth fifth funeral um, and realised that it was going to kill me, the stress, 
if I didn't make a life for myself. And that's exactly what she's grappling with now. You know, we were talking about it the other day. We were saying I've sold my property and looking for a new house and that. And, you know, he, um, we will get together, you know, probably sooner than later. But, you know, you think, oh, gosh, you know, should we do it now? Should we live together now? Or what would everyone say sort of thing? Her family are OK with her moving in with Bill, but she's not sure what her friends will think. I'm probably of the old school where, you know, your marriage is marriage until death. And, you know, you have that that stigma about, you know, people think you're a naughty girl. <laughs> Do you think you're a naughty girl? Not really, because my past life is over. She's clearly smitten with her new love and says he can be romantic and kind. And she's missed that kind of companionship. You know, being able to have someone to go out with and he cooks me meals at his place. He doesn't live far from here and he stays the odd overnight. We went out for dinner last night and came home from his family, you know, about 10 o'clock at night and he said, oh, I think I'll stay here the night. So I think my house will be cold. <laughs> Put on the heat pump and we watched TV and he probably went to sleep. <laughs> Marie says at one stage she and her husband did talk about what she'd do if he became ill. And he said, oh, I hope you get, go out and enjoy life. But getting on with your own life can often be more difficult than it appears. Jeremy Sutton, a senior family lawyer at Bastion Chambers in Auckland, has a word of warning for those taking up new relationships when they're still married to someone else. He says while it is possible to divorce someone who has dementia, it rarely happens, and having both a spouse and a de facto partner means things get complicated legally if the new relationship breaks up. He recommends writing up what's known as a contracting out agreement, a sort of prenuptial agreement for unmarried couples, even when one person is still married to someone else. And however unromantic it might seem, new couples, he says, need to talk early on about who'd get what if they part after living together for more than three years. If you don't do something early in the relationship, then it's not going to happen at all because it's too awkward to bring up close to that three years and the other partner gets advice to say, hey, there's no good idea for you to sign this agreement now. So it really needs to be done at the earliest possible stage to set expectations and to make sure that property is divided fairly and it, has, it, it doesn't have to go through lawyers and get all complicated. Only 6% of the population have these sorts of agreements. It's a very small number. And about 50% of people in New Zealand are unaware of what their legal entitlements are. So most people don't do this sort of thing. And the difficulty that we have is that these start off as friendships normally and then they kind of move into the house on a casual basis and before you know it, they've been in a relationship. So people don't sit down and say, look, from today, guess what, we're in a relationship, we're going to announce it to the world, we're going to send an email through social media or wherever it is. The difficulty is that it's not marked by any particular event where you can say when the relationship started. So the challenge for people is to recognise that early and to take some steps. And as long as they take steps within the first three or six months, they're usually fine. Getting in early on having the tough conversations with new partners and family members is also the recommendation of American author Tammy Reeves. As populations age in many Western countries and people live longer, she thinks couples getting together while one person has a spouse living with dementia is a burgeoning relationship issue. 
and she says it needs to be dealt with in an open and upfront manner. She's written a book, Bleeding Hearts, a true story of Alzheimer's family and the other woman, about her experience of starting a relationship with a man whose wife was living with Alzheimer's. Her now husband Eric's late wife Gay was diagnosed with early onset Alzheimer's at the age of 48. Within a year, her condition had become so bad he could no longer look after her at their house and she had to move to a care home. Tammy, a recently divorced paediatric nurse, met Eric on a dating website in 2007, a couple of years after his wife's diagnosis. His children had become worried about him and suggested he give dating a try. They both knew how depressed he was and how sad he was and lonely, and they just felt like he needed someone to provide him support and to give him a reason to live. From the first date, Eric was upfront about his family situation and his wife's illness. Tammy fell for him straight away, but held back a bit initially. Tammy says there was little resistance from Eric's family, although in the beginning some of her own friends were worried about her getting into such an unconventional relationship. Part of the issue, I think, for my friends when I entered into this relationship is I'm a nurse. And when you're a nurse and someone tells you a story of illness, the first thing you want to do is help out. And so I knew right away that I was drawn to him, and it took me a while to sort out why I was drawn to him. I had to make sure I wasn't doing it as a nurse and doing it as, you know, a woman, uh, seeking a relationship. But I never gave it a second thought once I got to know him, met his family. I even met her mother, Gay's mother. Gay is his um, late wife. I met her mother about three weeks into our relationship and got her blessing as well. Tammy says because they were so open about the relationship, she felt comfortable visiting Eric's wife at the care home, and together they made sure her final years were the best they could be. Tammy says Eric and Gay had never discussed the what-ifs of what they would do in this situation. If they had talked about it, things would have been much easier on Eric. You need to know if your loved one would be against it or not, and it's it's important because, you know, in this situation, if I, and Garrick and I had talked about this. He said that if he felt like she would be totally against it, he would have never even thought about it. You know, that's why he took a year off from, or waited a year, I should say, before he actually pursued a relationship with someone. Because when his daughter introduced the idea, he hadn't thought about it. And then he gave it some thought. And he said he, he felt like he just kind of got on his motorcycle and meditated and came to the conclusion that she would be supportive, even though they had never discussed it. I think people need to have this conversation, especially nowadays when it seems like dementia and Alzheimer's is really on the rise and hitting younger and younger people. Tammy says if you're close enough to be married, you should be able to broach a subject like this. She advises that people also make it more widely known amongst friends and family, perhaps even drafting a legal document. So, yeah, it's probably a, a good idea for other people to know what each other's wishes are, even if it's just, you know, the sister or the brother or whatever, because, you know, somebody could say, yeah, well, you can say whatever you want because that person can't speak up for themselves. She says Eric was a good husband to his wife and a guardian of her needs until the very end. 
It's her hope that more people start to open up conversation about this type of relationship and find ways to do it that are respectful and caring towards the person with dementia. That programme was written and presented by Teresa Cowie. Next week on an Insight special, Jim Mora and I bring you live analysis of the Australian election result. I'm Philippa Tolley and that's all from Insight for today. Lovely to have you with us. Ka kite anō.